Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. We have a great show for you today, but first, I want to ask you for a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, that is. Also, take a second to rate and review our show in your podcast app, especially if you're a regular listener. That will help other people find us. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get started. Not to be all in your business, but how's your sex life? Wait, don't bail out on us just yet. That question is one that today's guest, Nan Wise, PhD, asks her patients. The answer matters more than you might think, Wise writes in her new book, Why Good Sex Matters. Maybe you saw WebMD's recent article about the sex recession, that fewer people in the U.S. are having sex, research shows. That includes a 2018 survey that reported that a record-setting 23% of U.S. adults had no sex in the previous year. No judgment here. A satisfying life, including your sex life, is in the eye of the beholder. But there's a bigger issue here than the birds and the bees. What's also at stake can be pleasure itself, Nan Wise says. She's a cognitive neuroscientist, professor, licensed psychotherapist, and certified sex therapist. Listen in on our conversation about why sex has fallen off the radar for so many people and how to revive this part of your life if you want to. Dr. Weiss, thanks for joining us. And thank you for having me. And please call me Nan. All right, we can do that. Um, Your book is called Why Good Sex Matters. Are you surprised that there's really a need to make this case? Yes. I am surprised, but no, I'm not surprised. And by the way, I'm surprised by the statistic that you just mentioned. I wasn't aware of that particular statistic that 23% of adults have had sex in the past year. That's a pretty high, that's a lot higher than I would have guessed. Wowza. What do you see as the biggest obstacles to a healthy, satisfying sex life for most people? Not being in their bodies not attending to and understanding that your awareness of your body, your being able to attune to the sensations of your body is going to be necessary for any kind of pleasure in your life that's going to be satisfying and healthy. Okay. So what could people or how can people think about that or try to, um, I guess, get their minds to think, you know, gee, am I really paying attention to my own body? How would you begin to to coach someone to do that? I think psychology needs to add into what we discuss, less kind of focus on the cognitive, um, complicated versions of emotions and teach people about the visceral kind of levels of emotion, starting with And I say this to all of my clients, what's going on in your body? And you know, so many people are like heads on sticks. They say, well, I'm angry. Well, how do you know you're angry? What's going on in your body? It's not in my body, it's in my mind. But what are you feeling in your body? And they look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) Like the idea of like attuning to the sensations in the body. One of the most powerful I think tools of being able to connect with the body is becoming aware of the breath first and foremost, the quality of our breath. We can very easily and profoundly change the tone of our autonomic nervous systems to be less stressed 
by simply extending the exhalation longer than the inhalation. Hmm, that's certainly something most people are not tuned into on a regular basis. I tell my clients and my readers what's on my mind, what's on your mind, what's in your body, and what's your emotional weather to like pay attention. For someone listening now who feels like their sex life isn't what it could be, where do you suggest they begin in order to try to, to you know, make it what they want? Wow, that's a great question. I really love that question because I think to start off with, the best thing that we can do, Carrie, is to start where we are and to recognize that it's perfectly, and I don't want to use the word normal in an in evaluative way, you know, but it happens that our sex drives and our sex lives ebb and flow over the course of the month, a relationship and a life. So just starting where we are and going, hey, that's okay. I'm okay. And I would make it a question more about how can I have more pleasure in general than focusing on having sex, meaning, you know, genitals and friction. Mm -hmm. So I like when I work with couples, I kind of think about how do we start turning the bedroom back into a playground where we're focusing on play and fun, not on production, not on performance, not on, you know, erections and orgasms and lubrication or anything like that. Let's get to be playful. A lot of times when people are having challenges, as I mentioned before, in their sex lives, it might be that they're so stressed out, they're anxious, they're depressed, and that's a symptom of it. So I say, Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Self-care, self-care, self-care. And then we need to overcome this, you know, indoctrination that pleasure is somehow not okay. Because we have ambivalence about it. So women are, you are supposed to be taking care of other people. We're supposed to be working out of the house, working in the house. We're supposed to be worried about other people's feelings. Where does our own pleasure come in? Even things outside of your sex life, even just, you know, if you eat something that tastes good, it's probably bad for you. Sort of that mindset, it sort of pervades, you know, a lot of aspects of life besides sex. Yes, exactly. That's a good point. So the starting point is radical acceptance of where we are. Also understanding how when when the the defensive systems, which are like rage, which protects us, you know, to get us to defend ourselves, fear, where we, you know, need to recognize we're in some sort of trouble. When those systems are either too activated or not activated enough, we're out of balance and things don't work so well. So if we can recognize that until we feel relaxed, relaxed first and safe, we're not going to have access to play and certainly not lust. So I think it's kind of working with the care, play, and lust systems. And that's like a formula. I always say care plus lust plus, plus play equals big fun. <laughs> I like that. We can put that on a T-shirt somewhere probably. Yeah, you know, I just <laughs> thought about that. That would be great. How would you define play for adults? What do you mean by that? For grown-ups, play can be exploration. Play can be prioritizing, you know, things that capture 
us, that engage us. Like one of the things, most people know what they like to do, but they don't do it. Like if you talk to people, oh, I love to dance. Well, when's the last time you danced? Uh, Mm -hmm. I love to play tennis, but I don't have the time. I love to, you know, travel or I love to explore. It's just about prior. I think really the point of my book, Carrie, is prioritizing that pleasure is not a luxury and that we need to prioritize our ability to really practice healthy hedonism like we do, like we brush your teeth. Right. So often anything that you purely want to do because it brings you pleasure gets pushed way down to the bottom of your to-do list. Do you have examples of healthy hedonism? You've talked about that a couple of times. Uh, Anything that you enjoy that feels good and is good for you. Like for me, my healthy hedonism is really about like eating um, healthy foods that I really like. Good sex with somebody that you like and who likes you. And I'm not saying great sex, because great is the enemy of good. How about people who maybe aren't having sex all that often, and they are genuinely okay with that? That's fabulous. Great. There's no shoulds. If you want to give up sex and your partner's cool with it, fantastic. If you are if you find that it's just kind of drifted out of your life, great. And I would say try and focus on having pleasure. There's lots of ways to have pleasure. I found it interesting that you link sex and the pleasure of sex to pleasure in other parts of your life. You write about pleasure and a condition called anhedonia. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, what I noticed was that when people came to my office with, let's say, depression, anxiety, or stress, although their chief complaint was not their sex lives, their sex lives suffered. And then when people came in, for issues around sexuality, stuff in the bedroom, often beneath that was some imbalance in their emotional systems with stress, depression, anxiety. So what I put together, like kind of putting two to two, two and two together to get four, was what we were missing in psychology was really appreciating the role that the wired in core emotional systems that we share with mammals and some other animals play in hijacking our capacity for healthy hedonism is what I call it. Mm -hmm. The brain is designed for pleasure to be a signal for us to pursue things that are good for us and pain or distress to avoid that which is bad for us. And what's happened is based on obviously lifestyle changes and things getting very complicated in our environment, a lot of the things that are pleasurable are not necessarily healthy for us. Mm -hmm. So for example, I love Doritos. If I eat a bag of Doritos, it tastes good, but is it good for me? No. (laughs) It's just, that's always disappointing to hear. Let me talk about my own anxiety. I had a massive panic attack the summer after I graduated college. I write about it in the introduction to my book. I was so devastated by this panic attack. Anybody who's had a bad panic attack knows that you really feel like you're shattered afterwards. Like, who are you? How are you ever going to be okay after that experience? 
So I've spent the vast majority of my young adult and then adult life learning how to manage my own unruly nervous system at times and also teaching other people how to do that. And what I learned with and through that is that you have to deal with the body. So when you can deal with the core embodied visceral emotions, which, for example, panic attacks stem largely from imbalances, it's thought, in the panic grief sadness system. Hmm. It's a visceral thing. You feel like you're going to die. Right. It can feel very scary. I mean, people can think they're having a heart attack. The symptoms can be pretty similar. Oh, I had, I thought, I didn't know whether I was going to drive myself back to the psychiatric hospital where I worked to get admitted or go take the exam I was scheduled for. I went and took the exam and somehow did okay. <laughs> wow. <But laughs> yeah, I was, you know, it passed, but, it, you know, I was devastated. I can't tell you for a long time after that. So, you know, when I learned through all the different things that I explored for my own well-being, I was teaching what I needed to know and then sharing it with other people, that working with the body, like yoga, breath stuff, learning how to harness my autonomic nervous system, in particular the calming portion, there's a phenomenon called partial complete attention. Have you heard about this? I believe so. Oh, that sounds familiar. It's, it's um, partial, constant partial attention. And that is when we've got things on that we are, you know, monitoring sort of constantly in the back of our minds. The cell phone is on, the computers are on, like we had to turn off the notifications when we did this, you know, podcast. And that has been associated with a tremendous amount of stress. And I think the, the Gallup Um, polls in 2018 showed that people found that smartphone usage was um, correlated with a lot of distress and anxiety. So we've, we've basically gotten our prime, I guess, reinforcement system hijacked and our attention hijacked with all of these sort of um, activities that make us want more. So pretty much your brain is just kind of not in it because you're so used to tuning into these other uh, sources that have that capture your attention constantly. Your brain attention system is captured. And so therefore it's being captured by this incredible influx of energy too much to and and not allowing you to digest, to savor, to be satisfied by anything you're biting off, whether it's literal or f- literally or symbolically. Or even thinking about how it makes you feel physically in the moment. Yes, exactly. Which is obviously key to having sex, feel, tuning into how you feel in the moment. It's key to having pleasure that's satisfying. Society has gotten past a lot of taboos about sex. Um, There's still a ways to go, but it's become a lot more accepting, less prudish, and open compared to past generations, certainly. I'm not so sure about that in a way. You don't think it's gotten better at all? I think it's a mixed bag. Yes, I think it has. But you know what's so weird, and I'm just writing about this. I do a glamour column, and I do a blog for for, um, psychology today. Mm Mm-hmm. 
doing all these radio interviews that I'm doing, like regular radio, not something like WebMD, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of experiences already where I'm cautioned by the radio host to be very careful about what I say. Like they think somebody like me is going to be, you know, saying something that's going to be inappropriate. People, and I've had recently in the past couple of days a number of radio hosts tell me, well, we've never talked about sex on this show. And these are shows that are meant to deal with health and lifestyles. Hmm. So I say we have a real, like, it's like um, we're, we've made some steps in some ways, but we still shame women who have sex. If you look at The Bachelor, hmm. we don't shame the men. We shame the women. Right. We still... We have this real love-hate relationship with sexuality where we're obsessed. But wait a second. We're not having so much sex. What's going on? Right. Dr. Nan Wise, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was really very interesting to hear your about your research. Thank you, Carrie. Time for our Tweak of the Week. When you've had a rough day, make sure you get in a hug. It could help your mood from taking as much of a hit. This came from a study of 400 healthy men and women. Every evening for two weeks, they were interviewed about their mood that day, any conflicts that came up, and all the hugs they got. Those who got more hugs were in better moods, as you might expect. On the days when people had conflicts, men and women who got more hugs kept their mood brighter. Hugs, basically, were like a mood buffer. So go ahead, hug it out. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you can tune in next time. Until then, keep up with WebMD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Bye for now.